journalists have become game developers as scum. Welcome to the Electronic Wireless Show, the Rock Paper Shotgun Electronic Wireless Show, I should branding, say. Branding, man, branding. I've got to get my branding. I am Brendan. Um, branding. Brandon. I am... <laughs> Stop it. I am joined this week by Adam Smith. Hello. And John Walker. Hello. Hi. We've all been gone. Last week there was no podcast because we were all away. Um, and nobody wanted to speak to each other over the over Skype. Nobody could step up to the plate, is what you're saying. Uh, nobody wanted to, which is fine by me. Uh, we were at GDC. We were. Did you guys enjoy GDC? Yes. I yeah, I did very much. Yeah. Do you want to do an entire podcast about our time at GDC, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco? I think we should. I could. Good, because that's what we're doing. I think what we should do is rank all the people that we bet out of 10. All the people that we met? Yeah, every single one of them out of 10. Not the games. No, not the games. No. Who's your lowest? Start with your lowest, Adam. Um, lowest would be... It, it was Brendan, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but... Wouldn't your lowest be uh, the, that drunk man that you met outside of a, a bar one night who um, started being very annoyed at you for being a critic? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, no, he got an eight. You only got a six. <laughs> beaten by a beaten by an inebriated angry man my my lowest rated man was also inebriated at the oh, no. awards on wednesday night he decided to sit next to me at our vip table and just ask me questions that i couldn't answer like during the in memoriam section asks me why are they all so young oh no Oh my god, that's harsh. I had to ask him to stop talking to me after a while because he was so annoying. And again, I say I've already apologised. We, <laughs> we don't need to air our dirty laundry. When Brendan arrived at our hotel room, we shared a room, uh, Brendan and I, um, and uh, he arrived the day after me. And when you arrived, Brendan, do you remember finding weird mathematical things written on post-it notes? Yeah, I yeah. went into our hotel room and I find post-it notes everywhere. I thought Adam had gone slightly mad. I actually thought I got in the wrong room. Really? Because you... there were all these... You assume that I can't do numbers. <laughs> no, there's just odd numbers and weird sequences. And then one 
one note just said questions on it. <laughs> Adam <laughs> Adam does have a beautiful mind. <laughs> it was um it was how the first night of GDC should go. So just for people who don't know, the Game Developers Conference is um uh, it's lots of talks, developers coming and talking about the games they've made, how they made them. So you get everything from indie developers talking about their latest success or maybe their latest failure. Uh, to like triple people who work in AAA studios talking about the specifics of AI or animation, and it's really cool. It's um you know hundreds and hundreds of really interesting people all just in one city to talk about games. And the first night I was there, um I went out for a drink with uh, Matt Handrahan who works at GamesIndustry.biz, and um and we were in this little dive bar and we thought we'll go here because we won't won't run into lots of games industry people. We're going to spend an entire week with them, so let's go somewhere that's a little bit quieter. And uh, and of course, after five minutes, we saw people already with GDC badges on before GDC had even started, and we <laughs> thought, oh no. And then um, they came across and started talking to us, and they were lovely. And one of them was a coder, and he was working on an indie game, and he ended up uh, coming back to the hotel room. A few of us went back there. Uh, after the bar had closed and he just started scribbling all these mathematical things on post-it notes and trying to get people to understand and i was just i didn't know what was happening but i was like this is like a free gdc talk because i don't understand them either <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of fun yeah um, thank you for providing a lot of context there that we didn't provide at the start of the podcast though Quite I, right. want to, I, I want to add to it if i'm allowed Yes, go on. Tell us more about what the Game Developers Conference is all about. Well, what I like about it a lot is it's not Gamescom or E3. It's not about big AAA publishers promoting their new big AAA games at all. In fact, the presence of Microsoft and Sony and so on on the show floor is to recruit people there, like Mm. careers fairs. Um, And the show floor itself for games is just indie games, and it's amazing. And it's this incredibly different atmosphere. The whole place is is so different because it's not vast corporations trying to distract uh, the press. In fact, the press, you're sort of, even though press get an all access badge and, and, and people and a little thing so developers can notice them, we're sort of last place, not first. Yeah, It's absolutely. actually about the developers first and the, and the press, you know, you don't get to jump lines and they don't make sure you get into talks or any of this sort of stuff. You have to stand in line with everyone else and not get into the bit popular talks with everyone else. And and that's brilliant. And then, all, all, as as Adam mentioned, there's the when when AAA developers are there, they're talking about really specific and interesting things, and they're sharing them almost altruistically. Like there was someone there from uh, Horizon Zero Dawn explaining how they animated the trees. Mm. <laughs> that was the, a talk. The, someone from Assassin's Creed did a talk on how uh, they use AI for testing. And it was the kind of thing which, yeah, obviously, at the scale they work at is is an essential solution. Basically, they were saying how when they start building a world, like when they build Egypt, because that's a normal thing to do, just to build Egypt. Um, it, <laughs> obviously, it's very, very difficult to test all of that and to make sure everything fits together. And there, there are always going to be glitches and bugs because it's so large. But what they do is every time they finish a new build of the world, they leave it running overnight with l- lots and lots of AI characters just running through it and trying every zipline and trying every parkour bit just to see. And then they can look no. back at it and see which bits didn't work and which bits they need wow. to tweak and fix. And it's the kind of thing which is totally scalable. It's the kind of thing if you're making a smaller game, you can do something similar. And, and as you say, there's a generosity to it. They're just there saying, here's a technique we've 
developed. Here's how it works for us. Here's how you could possibly use it. And it's fantastic, you know. Uh, it, it, it is the event you walk away. You, I walk away from E3 and I just want to have a shower uh, because yeah. I feel like someone's just tried to sell me things for five days straight. Um, and I walk away from GDC and I feel like great about it. You know, it makes me feel very happy uh, to I be part ref- of it all. I feel refreshed by it. Like it gives me, it re-inspires me to care about video games. I haven't been for three years and I haven't gone for three or four years in a row before that. And I really remembered how much I'd been missing, mm. how much of that sort of, it just gives me a new energy and a new, um, just a, uh, a new burst of caringness about this whole industry and wanting to be excited about games. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if developers feel the same way though because they do get sold things there like there's a lot of people going around hawking their technology or their <laughs> the, the server technology or whatever like yeah, yeah for example this year i have never been to gdc before but i've always heard that there's a trend every year yeah yeah um and this year people were telling me it's blockchain Oh, um, I, I think that people who've been there more than once or twice just learn to cut out the noise. It's just white noise. It's static. And um, and some of it's useful, uh, but most of it is just, is just static. Uh, and that's not to diminish what they're doing. The blockchain people, absolutely, I'm diminishing what they're doing. But like server solutions <laughs> and things like that are genuinely useful. Um, and uh, I think that, yeah, we probably get a view of it. But well, essentially, I think that there are people who go there to sort out business things to enable um, the really bright creative people to do what they do. But I think they're quite siloed off from each other, even though they feel like they're all overlapping and all happening in the same place. Um, I think when you speak to creatives at GDC, they are um, isolated from that stuff or kind of um, yeah um, protected from it because it just doesn't interest them. But uh, but you know that stuff is necessary to enable them to do what they do a lot of the time. So. Um, so I think the, the two distinct camps are actually feeding into each other in mostly healthy ways. Uh, that you know, they, there's 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 always um, an ugliness wherever business is happening. There is, um, but I think GDC um, does a fairly good job of uh, keeping the creative separate from that. I was just going to say I've set up all I've set up all these. Um ways of preventing myself from encountering the phrase blockchain i just spam it on email and block it on twitter and then suddenly these people were stood in the streets handing Mm. out cards i don't know how to block you in real life what do i do (laughs) um let's let's talk about um the people who we did meet who weren't um drunks at parties (laughs) well i'm out then see you later guys i'm done (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because we did talk to a lot of developers and see a few games and stuff like that. Uh, we had huge schedules and itineraries all printed out for, or, or all worked out for ourselves before we went. Um, John, did you meet anyone? Who, who, who did you meet that made the biggest impression on you with their game or just by talking about their game? Ooh. See, I, I thought who made the biggest. Who did I meet? I was most excited about is a different answer, which I will. Oh well, you can answer both questions. With. It's fine. Uh, I met Paul Neureth, who the man who created Ultima Underworld and the Thief. Ooh. That was pretty awesome. I went and had some tea with him. We went to. What did you talk about? We talked about Underworld Ascendant, but we also. I'm quite professional, and I'm quite unswayed by celebrity in this universe. I don't really get too worked up about meeting gaming luminaries or anything like that 
Um, but in this case, I did abandon all professionalism and said, Ultra Rondemore 2 is the first game I ever played on PC and I love you. <laughs> and and as we said goodbye, I realised I hadn't told him how perfect Thief was. So I said, I'm so sorry, I just need to tell you how perfect Thief is. <laughs> and then I left. And then I appeared so and was... went, except for the bone horde. And then I just... <laughs> <laughs> just drifted through. So oh. that. Um... But whose game mode that made the best impression on me? I didn't do an awful lot of going around and seeing games this week. I was recording lots of interviews. I was mostly in tiny booths or corridors chatting with interesting people. Um, but I was very you, impressed. Sorry, go on. You spoke to a few interesting people, though, I saw, because I spied on your your itinerary. Mm. You I saw Image and Form, the guys who made SteamWorld Dig. I did. And also Boink. Uh, who made Faya, as I now know to pronounce it, um, and are uh, making Flipping Death. They were together. It was uh, Klaus and um, Brienne together. That's the <laughs> wow. correct pronunciation on his name. Um, he's very offended if anyone doesn't put that much effort in. <laughs> in fact, he told me, he's he, he, people call him Brian, he told me how to, he said, pronounce his name in the correct Swedish, and I had a go, and he just said, let's pretend that didn't happen. Oh no! <laughs> That's how that went. I had a, a very nice, and very interesting interview with Emily Short, who um, used to write a brilliant column for us on interactive fiction. Um, she's working on uh, developing AI for NPCs in video games. What? I know. So they're That's trying so different to... from interactive. Well, I suppose it's not really. No, it's not because this is what she's been trying to pioneer in much of her interactive fiction over the years is creating NPCs that feel more real and alive. Um, and this is and the the idea of she's working at this company called Spirit, and the idea is that it's not just for IF; it's for all gaming. And this idea that you could encounter an NPC in a game who reacts almost autonomously. There's not pre-scripted. Um, and just tried to make gaming interaction much more real, which is very exciting. Yeah, it is. I asked her whether that whether that's a threat to the ego of the game writer. What'd you say? Well, she. I guess you'll have to wait for me to use his interviews for something interesting. But just the the idea is she she very diplomatically suggested ways in which it can sort of coincide with that ego. I also spoke to Fork Parker himself. That was good. <laughs> Who's Fork Parker? Um, of the P- the Fork Parker is the CFO of Devolver, the publisher. Weird. Is this the CEO that doesn't exist? The CFO that doesn't exist, yes. I met the man behind Fork. So that was good. Well, was, he, was he pretty intense? He wasn't. It's Nigel. He's, he's a Nigel Lowry. He's a, one of the guys at, at Devolver. Um, he's a very caring man. Cares an awful lot about the games he publishes. I... I really like Devolver. We we were talking about Devolver Brandy, weren't we? Um at one point we were stumbling through the streets of San Francisco and um I was going on about muttering about blood publishers big and small, yeah. And uh and yeah, we I, I really like Devolver. I think that um there's always that point when a publisher starts to grow and they find uh a niche is too unfair. But you know, Devolver had a certain style and they had a certain uh, kind of game they were known for. And I think a lot of that stemmed from Hotline Miami. And I think there was a period where they'd signed a bunch of games on the back of Hotline Miami and they'd created, um, their niche became a bit of a rut for them. And I think that uh, they're making such a great effort to find interesting games that 
uh, are different to the things that they're known for. Uh, and and I, I respect that a lot because I think it's very, very difficult. We know how difficult it is to sift through hundreds of indie games and to find the ones that are worth covering. Imagine committing to one for two or three years to publish it. Um, you know, you're going to get some that go wrong, but I think they, they do seem to genuinely uh, want to do good work. And that's very rare among publishers, I think. Uh, for all the kind of, you know, wacky kind of gonzo, Hunter S. Thompson style, you know, attitude and this whole um, kind of anti-professionalism almost, you know, they did that E3 press conference thing last year, which was like an adult swim video. Uh, but behind all of that is, you know, there's a creativity behind it all, which I think is absolutely core to what they want from the games they publish. And everyone I spoke to has worked with them has good things to say about them as well, which is very rare. It's also interesting that these are the same people, well, some some of the same people who are behind the absolutely atrocious Gamecock. Oh, I didn't it's know. It's quite that. a turnaround. Oh, yeah, of course they did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game, they were not... Again, I don't imagine many of the listeners would have even encountered who Gamecock actually were, but they were sort of they they were gathering of developers was part mm. of it. It was all very complicated mishmash, but oh my goodness, they were horrible, <laughs> awful to work <laughs> with, very different from Devolver. So that's good. Yeah, that's I, we, positive. John mentioned Thief, so I'm obliged to jump in and say I met Jordan Thomas for the first time. Um. I'm saying isn't it? it is Jordan Thomas. I kept Jordan Thomas, yeah, it's yeah, not Thomas I, Jordan. I, no, I can't remember what I kept calling him. I kept getting his name wrong. I was telling people, oh, I met, you know, Jordan something or other. I was just making Jordan up Peele. a name. It was just a completely made, completely made up name. And uh, oh, okay. say, and I was like expecting people to be like, wow, how was he? And they were just like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but Jordan Thomas uh, worked on two of my favourite uh, levels in games, which is uh, the... Um, uh, Cradle, Cradle. In, in Thief 3, Deadly Shadows uh, and Fort Frolic in Bioshock uh, and he's making a new game called the Blackout Club the Blackout Club, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is uh, slightly Stranger Thingsy and slightly like It, It the clown film slash book um, uh, it's about, it's a cooperative horror game where you play a bunch of young people in a town where bad things are happening and you're trying to uncover the truth of them so there's lots of sneaking around at night avoiding the adults who think you're a bit mad and that you're spreading conspiracies and maybe in on the conspiracies and there's a literal boogeyman um and so we were talking about that but it's very early in development so we just had a big long conversation about designing horror and it was fantastic and and to go back to uh what we were saying about why we like gdc it's exactly because of conversations like that you know, to talk to somebody who's like, yeah, look, I can't go into specifics about my game, not because of an NDA, but because I'm still figuring it out. Uh, and here's all the things I'm thinking about and just be very open about the process. And I had a similar conversation with Soren Johnson, who's the, who's the lead designer of Civilization Four, then made off world trading company. Uh, and Soren's fascinating. He's probably thought about 4X games more than anyone else on the planet. And um, and he's making a new game called Ten Crowns, which Starbreeze are going to publish. And he's still prototyping it. But because he's still prototyping it, he was just very open about what he's trying to do to fix some of the problems he sees with 4X games. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I've written about Civilization VI, a game that I like, but that feels like it's um, uh, at the end of... At the end of possibilities for that specific type of uh, this, the structure of the civilization games, I think, has just been worn so thin now. 
And the solution seems to be to just keep trying to bolt new things onto it, new features and new layers. Uh, but actually, I think the, the foundation of it is, 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 isn't good enough to support them in some ways. And uh, one thing that Soren said, and I'll be publishing this into either today or tomorrow, uh, it'll be on the site over the weekend. Um, one of the things that he, he said, which I thought was really great, and obviously he worked at Paraxis with Sid Meier for a long time. He worked on Civilization 3, then Design 4. And he said, uh, he said a lot of this comes back to the fact that if Sid, Sid Meier had known in 1991 that he was inventing a genre instead of just messing about and making a game, he would have been a lot more bloody careful. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was very, very, uh, you know, uh, kind thing to say. You know, it's not like, you know, this is, a, you know, the mistakes were made. It's just, you know, yeah, people, he, it was a hobby almost. You know, he was trying to make something and it has become the de facto way to make it. And, and anyway, I've written about this a lot on the site. It's something that I, I find fascinating. And I think that we don't interrogate strategy games in the same way we do FPS games. You know, if new first-person shooter comes out and these days people will, you know, knees will jerk and people will say, oh, God, you know, it's just about killing. And do we think about the killing and who we're killing and why we're killing them? And all of those questions, strategy games for a long time, it's just been like, of course, they're just about killing native peoples and indigenous peoples and removing them from the place they were and colonizing their lands. That's what strategy games are. And actually, history isn't that simple and history isn't that um, uniform. Uh, but the model of a 4X game, I mean, the X is, you know, explore, exterminate, exploit, you know, like, those don't have to be. I've forgotten the fourth. <laughs> what is the fourth? X-ray. <laughs> That's right. X-ray. Yeah. Explain what's going on. <laughs> Extravaganza. Uh, but but yeah, they they they're just incredibly. Um, they they put forward a view of how history and culture works. That is that is about expansion. That's the one. Expansion. E- expansion. Exploitation and extermination. Um, and of course, history is full of those stories, but there are many, many other stories in history as well. So, so you know, Soren's far cleverer than I am, so he talked about all of this, and I, I'm probably paraphrasing him as much as give my own thoughts here. But, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's brilliant to be able to sit with somebody who thinks about this stuff and, and is, is trying to um, make a game which, uh, which grapples with those questions rather than just says, what would civilization look like if it was set on a different planet? Or what would civilization look like <laughs> if it had dragons in it? Uh, actually saying, no, okay, what are the fundamental problems that I have with the design of this game? And one of the things that he said was victory conditions. He doesn't like victory conditions because like, that's not how building a culture works. You know, you don't have in your head, I need more of this than everybody else and then I've won and it's all over. Um, so he's trying to figure out what happens if you get rid of victory conditions and what you know what is the experience of the game instead. Of course, these are all things that Paradox have done to an extent. Uh, Anyway, I'll stop talking about strategy games. <laughs> yeah, you've clearly saved, you, you've missed being on the podcast. You've I saved have. up a lot to talk about. I have. Um, that's fine. While all of you guys were um, swanning about and having very deep, long conversations with uh, different developers from different places, I got to go to the um, backstage area of the IGF Awards and the Game Developers Conference Awards and talked to all the big developers for 120 seconds each <laughs> after they won their awards. That's the um, ideal situation. That's the situation everyone wants for interviewing, but rarely gets. Yeah, so I got I got the briefest of insights. Um, and I'll be writing up 
of what they said and what I asked uh, in another article at some point next week, probably. But uh, yeah, at one point, Tim Schafer got the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Tim Schafer, the man behind Double Fine and all the old adventure games like uh, Grim Fandango and so forth. And uh, he was taken aside at one point uh, by the organizers and said, okay, well, we've got uh, someone from Rock, Paper, Shotgun here. He wants to talk to you for a couple of minutes. And he just said, ah, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, my nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) Did he say, is it that bloody John Walker? Um, He didn't, he didn't. But I think he looked at me and felt relief. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) But no, he, he, he said it was a joke. Uh, yeah, hilarious so. joke. <laughs> Tim Schafer's but, really long-term running joke in which he doesn't like me. It's good. <laughs> it's a funny joke. Well, Thanks, Tim. I thought he was a nice man in the two minutes that I spoke to him. Uh, who else? I I saw all the other people who came back there, um, but uh, didn't 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 get any in-depth kind of things. I mostly just asked them what. Who would they give their award to if it was their choice? Which was nice. A lot of people like Hollow Knight. Tell us about the uh, student winner. Oh, the winner of best student game. And I'll put a link to the awards and all the best, uh, all the people who won and the nominees as well. But the winner of the best student game was uh, I f- the game was Baba is You. Um, I've forgotten his name. Whoops. Uh, he probably didn't have a name. The developer's name is Hempuli. Um, and he was the first person to win. He won for best student and he would later win for excellence in design. Uh, so he won two awards during that night. He came back for, after the first one and he was the first person backstage and he was completely overwhelmed. I felt really, really sympathetic for uh, to him uh, because... I asked him, oh, who would you give your award to uh, if it was your choice? And he just blanked. He just didn't remember any of the other nominees <laughs> because of the pressure of the situation. And he was just like, I don't remember any of them. And he just looked at me in a panic and I went, it's fine. It's fine. You can give it to anyone. It doesn't have to be the nominees. You can just give it to any game. And he just looked at me and I just knew, oh, you've forgotten every game. <laughs> you've forgotten every single game in existence. And I felt so sorry for him. Um, because it was this was clearly like this most overwhelming uh, spot to be put in. Um, I just had to kind of pat him on the back and be like, "It's fine, <laughs> just, it's fine. Just go and enjoy, uh, go and enjoy your, you know, your award." And I knew, of course, that he's going to be back up on stage <laughs> later in the night because I got we got a, a printout of the the winners as they were, you know, going to be called out during the night that we couldn't show anybody else i knew he was going to be back and i was like good luck my friend you're going to be overwhelmed again in about 30 minutes time (laughs) i'm really annoyed because baba is you got so much attention and we're all sat around going we haven't played this game and it's not out yet and i'm just looking through all the games i downloaded from the igfs judging this year and i didn't get it i don't have it to play it looks quite good (laughs) um Let's let's talk about the awards in general, actually, because uh... well, we should explain that there are two sets of awards. So the IGF awards, which is um, the independent gaming, so it's designed for indie games, and it's generally quite a nice, jovial affair, and oftentimes it highlights unknown games and gives them lots of prominence. Like Baba is You, I think, will go on to a lot more success now. 
um, for all the attention that it's had. And uh, and it's it's quite nice, isn't it? And then there's the GDC awards, which are awful in every conceivable and imaginable way. <laughs> Why are the GDC awards awful? They are the most vile, corporate, backslapping gibberish of all. They're just so cynical and awful, and the voting is terrible, and the nominations are agonisingly predictable, and it's all just everything that's wrong with awards in one big, gross, backslapping, tongue-licking ceremony. Well, you say this, you say all this, right, But and that the, the awards for the GDC awards are predictable, but Adam and I were discussing earlier that there is a certain... What, how did you call it, Adam? IGF bait? Yeah, yeah, like Oscar bait. Uh, you know, there are certain games which feel much more likely to, you know, um, be... It, there's certain things, I think, that the IGFs look for. And um, so some. I, I, I have to stress, I don't mean this as a negative. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. Uh, but you know how when you see the Oscar uh, nominations, you can usually... F- narrow it down to two or three of them that are probably going to win and some that are just there. Um, and interestingly, I think that um, with the IGFs, it shows um, that it, it they they fill, we talked about trends, you know, um, with GDC and what have you. I think that um, you can see the kind of games that people are excited about. And at the moment, dramas and narrative games and all that uh, are the things that, uh, you know, are going to, be highlighted more um uh, but then there's things like the excellence in audio uh, category this year oh no i can't say the name of the game that won it they don't know how to pronounce it uh gernog unlimited however it's called ernog 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 unlimited uh, yeah so um that that feels like a game that was to me was always going to win because it's not just about having great audio but it's a game made by somebody who is doing exciting procedural things with audio. I would have been flabbergasted if that hadn't won. Uh, it just felt like, you know, this is the kind of thing that uh, they want to celebrate. And maybe they should be celebrating, you know. Like, uh, So, yeah, yeah. Um, here's, here's some useful insight into, into what Adam's talking about. I was sat on a, on a VIP table because I'm very, I, mean, I am a very important person. Indeed. Didn't you just... Sneak hunted? <laughs> no, I snuck last time. I uh, when I was last there three years ago, I snuck in there. But this time, I had an actual wristband and everything. Mm. Um, I know I've become, I've become very important in the last three years. <laughs> um, and I was sat on the table with some very naughty people. Um, so naughty that other people who were sat at our table relocated themselves <laughs> midway through the ceremony. Um, and we were betting on the winners before it started. And um, so we all made our bets beforehand, put our money in the in in a wine glass before the ceremony began. And um, and then as the nominees were coming up on screen, obviously some of them we hadn't heard of. Some of them we hadn't come across. If we were judging, I hadn't come across them, or if we hadn't judged, never heard of them before. And uh, and up they pop on the screen, and suddenly they pop up on the screen. And what happens is you go. It's like really incredibly lo-fi graphics and looks really scratchy. And then all these weird glitches go across the screen. And every time that happened, we went, oh, no, because we just assumed that one was going to win. <laughs> and that's very much how IGF works, I think, is the truth. There's a lot of truth to that. How many did you get right? How many did you get right, John, in your bets? I came second. Uh, and so therefore lost. But I did come second. There were some joint winners. Um, uh, Night in the Woods won the the grand prize. 
Yeah, I was uh, delighted by that because I loved do it. Do, do we feel it's that, that was the correct decision? Well, we need to see what the other nominees were. Let's let's. I'll pull it up while you distract us. The other, no, the other nominees I can tell you now were getting over it with Bennett Foddy, waste of loathing, into the breach, heat signature, and Baba is you. So the one that won the student award. Well, okay, so here's my rule on uh, on, on the IGF. So there's a thing called the Nuovo Award, mm. which is for um, the strangest game that doesn't fit into any other category, which lasted for about one year before it became farcical, because the games that go into Nuovo now appear in other categories. So getting over it was the winner of that, and I predict that correctly, but then obviously if you're in the Nuovo, you shouldn't be a nominee for the grand prize. So it shouldn't getting over it should have been in one or the other, but not both. As indeed, Babri's you. You can't be in the student, and I'm extending that rule to student nominees now. That won the student prize. If you're in the student category, if you're nominated for other categories, you should be booted out of the student category to make room for a student, another student, who because otherwise it's not fair. If you've got mm. it's but the student category is meant to be there to allow unknowns to sneak in, and and you know he's taking up extra spaces. That shouldn't be allowed to win, so that was eliminated. Heat signature. I should have. I should have said all this to the overwhelmed student. Who came I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. So heat signature. Heat obviously signature. Made by... Heat shouldn't be allowed to win because journalists have become game developers as scum. <laughs> yes, that's they, true. They shouldn't be allowed to win anything. I agree. They should just be murdered on the spot. Anyway, so yeah, it's made by our friend Tom. <laughs> but I thought that was uh, a bit too old, like too far ago, long ago it was released. It was just like unlucky. Like when a film comes out the week after the Oscars, you know it hasn't got any chance in next year's Oscars. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was going to be Into the Breach. West of Loathing felt like a, an odd one because it wasn't nominated anywhere else. And it just seemed odd that it would be in the top prize. So it had to go between Into the Breach and Night in the Woods. Yeah. And... I like one of those and haven't played the other. So that's what decided it for me. I would have been very... I would have given it to Into the Breach, but again, that's partly because it's the one that I've played and loved rather than having sat down and played them all thoroughly. Um, So, yeah. And I I never thought Into the Breach would win it. I think it's strange because Into the Breach is... uh, This is kind of my AGF bait thing. Into the Breach doesn't feel like it is. Um, It feels like it's, it's not doing enough things it's doing one it's too thing solid, incredibly isn't it? well it's yeah too exactly good. Yeah. it's too good yeah. it's very hard to have a conversation about into the breach that isn't like very mechanical uh and i don't think the igfs are as interested in that unless it's in a technical category it, into the breach is is if it was the oscars it would win you know best editing or something and everyone would go yeah it deserves that um but yeah yeah there we go into the breach is the best edited game <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm sticking with it. Here's the thing is that Night in the Woods also won another award for excellence in narrative. Mm. Um, and it was up against the likes of Tacoma, um, Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, uh, A Tentat 1942, Butterfly Soup, which I'm not, I don't know, uh, and Tooth and Teal, which is that RTS yeah. about the rats being communists. And. I would have given that to Tacoma without a second thought, <laughs> having not played Butterfly Soup or a Tentat. Just because Night in the Woods, its dialogue and its characterization is very good, I feel like, really, really strong. Um, but its storytelling is kind of all over the place. And Tacoma tells a story in 
maybe not necessarily a new way, but in quite a novel way. It lets you follow people around in an interactive theater kind of fashion. And I just felt like that's that's far more interesting than telling a linear story in the way that Night in the Woods does with its, you know, dialogue pop-ups and stuff like that. I think there's um, an interesting, uh, you know, question at the bottom of all that is whether, uh, and it, obviously it's going to come down to um, judges and um, and you hope that these conversations happen and they happen in a good way, but, uh, you know, whether, whether you're interested in because uh, narrative especially you, you know are we interested in the way that stories are told are we interested in the stories themselves and and that's a lot of what i think games are grappling with at the moment in um you know with the the, the kind of not resurgence but the kind of swell of narrative design at the moment there's there's a lot of people doing interesting things in narrative but there are also people who are just saying hey this is a medium i can tell my story in and butterfly soup is much more an example of somebody telling the story and it's a visual novel you know using that medium which you know and they're not playing around with um the idea of storytelling so much as just finding a medium which is comfortable to tell our story in um and you know they're, they're two very different things i think you know best story and narrative design are two completely different things yeah um yeah i i agree i agree but what i this is what this is why I would have given it to Kuma regardless of that distinction. And right, right. I still think it has good a good story and good characters and good dialogue, all the things that Night in the Woods has, but it also has good storytelling mm. on top of that. Uh, I, I do want I want to disagree. I think Night in the Woods tells its story in a really fascinating way. It has um the, speech bubbles. Yeah, that's not that's okay, that's very technical i just mean in terms of how it conveys its narrative that you these in these uh, these little uh vignettes you get like the night when you break into the mall or um there's like these beautiful little moments and all how it tells some of its story through um uh r- rhythm action and, and there's so many different novel strange little moments in it that are really emotional and, and conveying of depth that i think it does deserve recognition beyond having some speech bubbles I mean, oh, uh, Oxenfree, one of the best narratives in recent decades, has speech bubbles, but it's still blooming brilliant. Yeah, Brandy. Yeah, in your face. I don't know. I feel like they should have been given their grand prize and told to saunter. <laughs> I think that <laughs> butterf- I think the butterfly soup sounds like a game that was conceived in order to win an IGF award. (laughs) (laughs) Butterfly Soup is a baseball-themed visual novel about gay Asian-American girls falling in love. Come on, how did that not win? We have a very good article about it, actually, um, an interview with the creator. Um, And, yeah, it's it's because I I think that the uh, people who are uh, now uh, finding, you know, that, that, hey, maybe visual novels are a way that I can actually, you know, uh, tell a story that might not work in um, in more conventional prose and might not work in a point-and-click adventure. I think there's very fertile ground there. And it's not... Uh, I'm not particularly interested in those games for myself because I find visual novels, just the, 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 the mode of communication, I find it very slow and I don't like just clicking and clicking and clicking. Uh, but, but there is this... I mean, like interactive fiction, you know, there's just this um, places where people are exploring things where possibly they didn't know where those stories fit before. And I, I do find that fascinating. So what about Tooth and Tail? What's that all about? An RTS getting nominated yeah, for the narrative? I think that's very strange. Like it's, um... I think it's very strange because I, th- 
Tooth and Tail's story is just a, a, a mess. Well, it feels, like, <laughs> it feels like it's more a setting award, if it's anything. You know, it's been recognized yeah. for its setting rather than its narrative. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the thing. It all gets very, very confusing and messy. And also it's probably getting nominated because of who made it. And, you know, there is there is an element of that, just like there is in the film world and the music oh, world. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, uh, yeah. Um, one of the other very nice conversations I had at GDC was with um, uh, Mr. Spy Party himself. Um, who <laughs> Chris Hacker. Chris Hacker, who is a man who's been involved in indie development for many, many, many years and is a, a big advocate for the... Um, independent game scene and is very supportive of developers uh and he's been making a spy party for i think it's nine years now um and the first question i asked him was do you not think you're setting a terrible example to young indie developers uh and he said yes he said i am and uh and nobody should try and do this i didn't do it on purpose and he said you know he, he said that he has the kind of mind where he's quite happy to work and try and perfect one thing for the rest of his career he said you know he doesn't feel like he needs to make another game he can just make this game and try and perfect it uh but yeah he was very very um um clear that you know there's there's a danger of that you get kind of a cult of personality around not necessarily even around developers but around games where they become they're there every year you know they become kind of uh, these shadows that hang over the independent game scene and the people who make them do talks and they get listened to. And some of them are making mistake after mistake after mistake and are relying on deep savings and deep pockets to survive. And um, and one of the things about GDC is that it's very easy to walk away from GDC and think, you know, God, everyone's doing brilliant in games. Uh, and they're not. You know, the people who aren't doing brilliant in games don't make it to GDC. Um, somebody once said to me... Um, going to GDC when you haven't made it yet is a waste of money. It's a waste of your money because it's expensive to travel there, especially if you're not from the US. Uh, and it can be exhausting. And uh, they said that going to GDC should be your victory lap once you've already succeeded. And there is an element of that, that, um, you know, it's, it's people who've made it. And I wonder what it's like being on the outside of that when, you know, you worked for five years on something and nobody bought it, which happens to, does happen to people a lot. Or or you worked something four years and burned out and never finished it. Uh, and you don't really hear those stories because obviously the people who have those stories to tell are probably not in the games industry anymore. Um, sorry, that's really bleak. Uh, I was going to no, say, I I was gonna it, say it, it's, it, it's very foolish for anyone to go into the games industry. It's a dangerous industry yeah, to work in. <laughs> And it would be a mistake to leave a steady, well-paying, supportive career <laughs> to do some such folly. Are we going to talk about this then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, um, <laughs> I'm going to move this on yeah. from I, GDC. Just before we move on from GDC, Chris Hecker... I'm going to move this on, Chris, Adam. Chris Hecker was lovely and was a very positive man and, and was very, very sensible. And yeah, I, I don't mean to turn... The Chris Hacker reference into this bleak story. You know, that's that's me, not him. Continue. Uh, I'm going to move this on because I promised um, when I asked our readers to ask us questions that we would talk a little bit about Far Cry 5, um, which just came out. Uh, so we're going from Indie Darlings to Ubisoft. 
the mainstream maggots. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh just to see uh what what people think about it. Um, um what what you both think about it. I guess Adam you haven't played any of it, have you? No, I haven't. Uh, so Adam, start with you. What do you think about okay, it? I've got very, <laughs> I've got very strong opinions about it. Uh I think that um they very cleverly used a bit of politics for the marketing early on and then they did a swift pivot to dog marketing, dog-based marketing instead. And uh, and there was suddenly so we had loads of articles about cults and white supremacists, and now we get lots of articles about you can rub the dog's belly and it heals the dog, and I think that's very very smart of Ubisoft <laughs> to move the conversation in a direction which is just generally lovely and no one's going to be complaining about. That's my take on Far Cry Five. Also, oh, there'll, there'll be complaints. Don't worry. <laughs> the fishing looks good. I want to do the fishing. Oh my god, Siri is listening to me. <laughs> Siri just tried to respond to this. Did she get triggered by fishing? She said I f- she said I feel the same. About oh <laughs> Far Cry 5. <laughs> I believe that's an exclusive. <laughs> she also wants to go fishing. Amazing. Wow. Sorry about um, that. John, you've played a little bit more of it. I can provide some insight for Adam here. The dog can rub your belly to make you better. This is okay. <laughs> That's actually true. Reinstalling Far Cry Five because <laughs> the uh, the 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 buddy system works. That when you get deaded, you have a thing you can press, and your buddy can run up and it's almost as if you were playing in co-op. They can run up and 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 resurrect you. But it works if you're buddied with a dog at the time. It just sort of runs up, puts his head near your corpse, and then you just stand up again. It's excellent. Kind of nudges you away. Nudges you all better. It nudges should, the bullets out of your it body. It should have like one of those little St. Bernard um, kegs around its neck. Yes! Yeah. Absolutely. Mr. Trick. It's an odd game in the sense that you're kind of forced to murder dogs before you meet your own dog. That's, that's how I got my dog. Uh, fair I had enough. to climb to the top of a pile of dead dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the last uh... dog alive was mine. Here's what I'm going to rant about, and I think I'm going to write an article about this because I hate it so much. Is that it's an it's a Far Cry game in the sense that it's a Far Cry game. There's almost no surprises, and yes, as as um, as you pointed out, they did rather. Not only did they pivot from the whole controversial cult to a polit- political looking thing to oh, okay, it's just a it's just some baddies, <laughs> and there's not much com- not much more complicated than that. Um, it's it's fun enough and you can run around, except that the usual trick with a Far Cry game is to ignore the story and just run around having fun. This one goes, no, no, we're finally putting an end to that. If you run around and have too much fun, the game will go, ah, excuse me, you're going to watch some cutscenes, young man. And um, force feeds you cutscenes. You, you get it. Tr- you get these events trigger where they're sent. They're told to stop trying to kill you now because the plot needs you to not not be killed at this moment. And they have to shoot you with bliss bullets, which is this drug that they have that makes the animals go crazy to justify the random slaughter of American wildlife. And they uh, and you get shot by this, and then you're put through some torturously long cutscenes, often featuring torture. And then you have to escape from wherever you've just been teleported to by this cutscene. And it's outrageous. It's just the worst thing ever. Like, what were they They're genuinely thinking? What do people like about our games? They like the freedom not to have to engage in the story. Right. Kill it. 
<laughs> and it's it's just gross and it's horrible and it's it's so awkward and you know it, uh, there's probably there probably is a, a proper name for it what's the name for the trope where a video game suddenly takes you from where you are puts you in a prison cell and takes all your equipment away from you Oh, I didn't know that had a name, but it definitely should. Yeah, it it should, definitely yeah. needs a name. Maybe yeah. I'll coin it. Um, it does that, but of course, the it's a, it's a horrible thing, and no game should ever do it again. But at least games, when they do it, you when you escape, you find your bag with all your stuff in it. Not this time. It takes all your stuff, and then you just have to painstakingly go around all these boring shops because you can't just put stuff back into your inventory. You have to go to shops and put things you've already bought back into your inventory, so you have all your weapons and stuff back. Took my fishing rod away for crying out loud! Never give wait, a wait, man wait, a fishing so... rod, then take it away. You know this. You know the old story. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. old give a man a fish. <laughs> give a man a fishing rod and take it away, and you're going to get a fishing rod in the eye when he gets it back again. That's what's going to happen. That's so weird. When you say you you have to go around collecting all the things again, you have to buy them all again, or like no, they're earn them their, all again. They're already bought, but you essentially have to buy them again. You have to find, go to a shop, and then you have to go <clears> to the, through its gruesomely awful UI to find each and every weapon and put it back in the right slot. And it was just oh, that's annoying. I know. <laughs> I was most perturbed. And I think it's just going to keep doing this is the impression I get because it's already happened to me twice now in the first section of the game. And then I'm going to balance that out by saying a nice thing. Go on. Right, One of the sort of central features of the map, which is beautiful and vast and enormous, is this enormous statue of sort of um, like a Christ the Redeemer style sized statue of, of uh, the main baddie of the cult. And uh, at one point, I'm given a plane with with uh, shooty guns on it, and I thought, I wonder what happens if I fly absolutely miles out of where I'm meant to be in the game and just shot shooting at that statue. And I figured, I figured two things happen: one, you can't damage the statue, or two, it would prevent me from doing it because it's for some plot device later in the game. And I was completely wrong. I start shooting at the statue, and bits of it start smashing off and falling down. At which point, someone comes over my radio saying, "I don't know who you are." But I love what you're doing. Destroy the whole thing and I'll totally be on your side. And so I start doing this. And clearly, if I'd gone in on the ground and met this character in advance, I would have been given this as a quest, I guess. But the game plotted for this and then has the character involved react accordingly. And that was really good. That's nice. So I smashed that statue to bits. So you just want to be playing Just Cause, don't you, John? I, d- I was you know I was thinking like it gives you a grappling hook and then you don't you can't really ever use it. It's only for scaling buildings which have got the grapple pole on them. Mm. Um. And and I was just you've got essentially got infinite parachutes and a wingsuit which is very just cause. But I was thinking, oh my goodness, I just want to grapple onto that aeroplane and jump in and start flying it, and I can't do that. And then suddenly it it it, got, it gets a bit too close to just cause and then backs away from it before it gets exciting. Uh, I've only played 75 minutes of it and I thought it was really, really dull. It isn't. It definitely, there's definitely fun things to find inside there. But yes, as it, with any Far Cry game, the opening hour or so is um, a, a torturous sequence of horrible cutscenes. I don't find the baddie that interesting and I always kind of like that they make a kind of the over-the-top baddie um, for you to focus on. Even well, though they're always ridiculous and kind of, you know, weirdly written. But I, I don't find this one interesting at all. I think he's too pedestrian. 
it's like a cult leader is kind of like oh a cult leader in america <laughs> there's quite a lot of those actually <laughs> it's clearly so. i think it's also clearly the result of someone having a big bold idea that that's then been gradually watered and watered down to, to, to nothingness by now so i can imagine at the start the idea was let's have let's make a it was obviously in development long pre-trump but let's have a, a really stark it's going to be a cult leader he's pure evil and we can question the extremes of the christian american right and blah 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 blah, blah. and in the end it's just become a silly farcical nothing character that doesn't have any yeah he's not scary or, impo- imp- or imposing or upsetting in any way he's just a man no. with some silly glasses and his like even the biblical stuff that he quotes is just it's the go-to biblical things that people will say in a in a TV show about a crazed religious lead you know leader or something like that you know yeah. I saw I saw somebody saying there you know the amount of um, American hymns that are in the public domain and mm. Far Cry manages to go from zero to Amazing Grace in five minutes. Or yeah, something. it absolutely <laughs> does. It goes it's to not Amazing even five Grace minutes, straight away. One second, it starts with Amazing Grace. You know, he does that. He does that quote from Revelations. You know, I looked and behold, a man on a pale horse. Like within the first, you know, few minutes of the game, you get that quoted at you, Mm. and it just feels like, oh, go on, try a bit harder, please. There's the Bible's massive and it's full of weird, (laughs) weird stuff. Like you can, you can definitely get something else out of it. Did you not think? I think I, I, I don't want to defend a game that I've not played, and I don't really particularly want to defend a Far Cry game at all, even though I really like them, but I certainly don't want to defend the characters and the dialogue or any of that stuff. But but I do wonder if the watering down is is not necessarily a bad thing because fundamentally if if Far Cry five is doing interesting stuff and it's you know it is engaging with um a political climate a little bit more and with religious ideas a little bit more, it's still underneath that is a game about killing hundreds and hundreds of people and would that not clash even more um so so do you not grind off all those edges and say you know let's just find the simplest version of this so it doesn't distract from the fact or make us feel weird about the fact that the rest of the game is so simple i, they I don't do, know they do reference it so it does that you start getting the voices in your ear saying um aren't you finding killing easy now and stuff like this right, so right. it's it, it does kind of start to address that the other thing it does that i thought was I would thought I really hope it goes further this direction is it's got some very subtle spoofs of modern American Christian music in there so your sort of Hillsong uh, vineyardy type stuff um, and that feels a lot more biting at that point when it starts to when it's 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 it feels like at that point it's treading on the toes of modern contemporary Christian culture which mm. I wish it would do a lot more. I wish it had a lot more guts in that direction. But just that music itself feels like it could, you know, upset a few very, uh, very precious people. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to continue playing and see um, about this weird teleportation man that you've told me about, John. That was Alec told you about that. Uh, oh, Alec. I say that about... because I found him to be very anticlimactic and don't want to get your hopes up. Oh. <laughs> Okay, well, deleting my, it again then. My, yeah, this is my Fire Cry experience, and I'm not joking here. I preloaded it and then uh, listened to all the chat about it in the RPS uh, chat room <laughs> and uninstalled it. <laughs> and then I reinstalled it because I was watching videos of it online and thought maybe, and I just uninstalled it again because I'm like, my hard drive is quite full. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so you, yeah, you're of two minds about this. I am. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I, I really, really like Far Cry games. I don't play many big, uh, dumb action games. And Far Cry 3 and 4 uh, both kept me very happy for many, many hours. I just, I really enjoy just the vehicles. I enjoy just the... So, so um, Alec wrote a thing yesterday about the setting and he mentioned Stalker in there. And Far Cry to me is like Michael Bay makes Stalker. And you know what? <laughs> I don't I don't ever want to watch a Michael Bay film. Uh, but but the, that idea of take, you know, Michael Bay computer game would be fine in some ways. All right, I'm just going to read out what some of our readers have said about Far Cry 5 very briefly, um, and then we can we can go on ourselves. We asked, uh, it's a GDC special, but we'll probably end up talking about Far Cry 5, so what do you think of Montana so far? Um, Bradley Marsh says, I see two hostages from the back of a van, only for them to get jumped by two very angry turkeys. I love it. The turkeys are mysteriously the most frightening enemy in the game. Oh, what, what? They attack you? The turkeys are terrifying. They are monstrous. They are way more dangerous than, say, the bears. <laughs> what? I know. Is this like their take on um, the honey badger from the uh, three or from four? Well, the wolverine seems to better fit that role, but the turkeys were just terrifying. <laughs> And they take a lot of bullets to die, too. Uh, Billy Ray says, It's what I want out of a Far Cry game, except improved in every aspect. So I like it. So I guess that's just more of the same, but slightly better. I would say uh-huh. it's, a, it's so much buggier than I'm used to from a Far Cry game. I'm surprised. What are the bugs? Just rubbish. Like uh, NPCs just constantly running on the spot and things getting wedged inside for the the world and teleport like characters teleporting i've got a good video I, I need to upload of just of an enemy who just decided he was only going to do somersaults and he just somersaults around <laughs> me in crazy circles for a while reinstalled <laughs> <laughs> um zeker link says very well done game i'm honestly enjoying it more than the past far cry games um isaac montarose says it's all right <laughs> <laughs> and, and honest to god that's all we've had like usually whenever i ask a question we got more on rats we, got we s- get yeah we got way more when we asked people what they thought of rats in general but uh this either indicates to me that people haven't played enough of it yet or our readers are just far too interested in igf type games yeah maybe that's it um, if, if it had been scratchy pixel graphics they would have been all over it or they're too busy playing it and they don't care about what we were tweeting. Rude. Which is also a completely legitimate excuse, if you ask me. You shouldn't even be listening to this, should you? <laughs> that's it. That's it. We're going to go now. Um, thank you for listening. You can email us, podcast at rockpapershotgun.com if you have any suggestions for themes that we can do in the future. This was a GDC-themed one, but it could be about anything that you think of that's a good idea that we haven't done before. Um, or you can email us questions or various suggestions, anything at all. You can get us on Twitter and rock, uh, Twitter and Facebook at Rock Paper Shot. Um, we're all individually on Twitter. John, what's your Twitter, yo? At Botherer. And Adam, what's your Twitter, yo? At Non Economical. One other thing that I should say 
is that Adam made a joke earlier about <laughs> game de- about journalists becoming game developers all being terrible. But that's because... That was a self-deprecating joke now. Cause, yeah. That's because Adam is leaving us uh, to go and into the world of game development. Bastard. Why, Adam? What do you say? Do you say why or bye? I said why. Okay. Um, Why'd you do this to us? I didn't do it to you. I didn't do it to yeah, you. It feels personal. Oh, my God. So the, the, the... Why don't you love Daddy anymore? <laughs> <laughs> The best uh, thing about this is I said earlier that I was showing a room Brendan at GDC and uh, kept completely quiet about it as I found out during GDC. And it was very, very it's difficult. Absolute but, betrayal. Yeah, this this was part of the test to see if I can uphold my end of an NDA. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, I, my uh, first reaction to Adam was to say, I looked you right in the <laughs> eyes, man. <laughs> Oh, but um, I'll, I'll podcast again. We have to have a farewell podcast. You know, give me absolutely. Give me, give me a five minutes to go. I'm not. I've got. I'm going to be here until the end of April. So um, yeah, absolutely. So you'll be back for more podcasts. Yeah. So le- re- listeners, don't worry. You'll you'll hear Adam's voice. You'll hear me at least talking about strategy games at great length again and again. Um, and if any of our listeners are at rest, um, come and say hello and goodbye simultaneously in a way that is confusing. Uh, that'd be very nice. Could just sing a little Beatles song. Okay, that's that then. Um, you've been listening to the Rock Paper Shock on Electronic Wireless show. Uh, thank you very much. Review us, like us, read just, our website. Just like us. Just like us, please, God, like us. Um, we're gonna say goodbye now. Bye. 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 That sounds like a creepy person playing the piano behind me. Uh, that's somebody else's phone. <laughs> so, this is the new Charlie. <laughs> <laughs>